Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, Honestly, I feel like we're in the second year of COVID-19, and uh, am I the only one? I just, uh, I'm sort of like putting one foot in front of the other every day. Time is both crawling and flying by, and it's almost hard for me to believe that it's April 23rd because, I don't know, it really could be any time of day, any time of year. Um, Just as a reminder, we have a set of COVID-19 resources including a number of blogs and videos in addition to the podcast. And you can find all of them or links to them on our blog, blog blog.getintocollege.com. If you just wanted to watch videos, uh, you could go to our YouTube channel uh, and check that out. Just Google uh, uh, College Coach and our YouTube videos should come up. In today's show, we're going to be evaluating financial fitness of colleges or giving you some tools to think about that, which is obviously something particularly important right now as the entire world is in something of financial turmoil. Um, We're also going to be talking about ROTC scholarships, how to think about those, apply for those, uh, and set yourself up to be accepted if that's something you're interested in. But before we get to either of those, I'm very excited to welcome a very good friend of mine, Lee Morgan, who I worked with at Penn in admissions and who's currently the Director of College Counseling at Tattnall. Hi, Lee. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, and thank you so much for being with us today, making time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule, even if you're not leaving the house. (laughs) It's my pleasure. It has been busy, but I'm so happy to talk with you. Absolutely. So over the past few months, we've done a number of segments around some of the biggest college myths uh, that we see out there, uh, mostly related to admissions and some of them on the finance side. And so I asked you to join us today to talk through some of the uh, those myths. So there are a lot of them, and so that's why we can do a number of segments about them. And one of the myths that you and I talked about was the idea that the personal statement uh, or that main college essay is more important than school-specific supplemental essays. So uh, I think we see a lot of times students spending a ton of time on their main essays and then maybe less on the supplemental essays. So what's your take on that? Why do you see that as a myth? You know, it's funny because with all the students that I work with, it's, it's the same thing, right? We spend so much time crafting that personal statement and wordsmithing it to the end degree. Um, and it, it almost, it, it's almost too much, right? And then they go to write these mm-hmm. supplementals and they seem to be a little bit more raw and honest and, and real. Um, mm-hmm. But they're also almost thrown together. And the, to the colleges, those supplemental essays, the why do you want to go to our school and why do you want to study this topic at our specific school, oftentimes they're looking for very specific answers and a real connection to that school and a real connection from the person to that program and to that school. And so if they're not, if they're not equally as, you know, crafted and wordsmith and worked on, they are, it's a missed opportunity for these students because I think a lot of times the colleges get a lot of information from that personal statement, but it's almost like they get the whipped cream and the cherry from the supplemental statements, and they're a really important part of the process that is often just kind of a second almost afterthought for some of our students. Yeah, I mean, I can think of many times, sadly, many times where I would be reading an application at Penn and the uh, the main essay would be wonderful. The application would be great. I'd be super excited to get to the why Penn, which generally speaking, if it was done well at that time, was a good page long. And, you know, mm-hmm. there sometimes it would be a couple of sentences or even a paragraph. And so... All that I was looking to find out in that essay, not all, but what I turned to that essay for was 
exactly what you were just saying. I wanted to see, had the student done their homework and they seemed really great. So how did Penn fit into that picture? And then they would mm-hmm. give me a few lines and I would say, I guess it doesn't fit into that picture because they clearly don't seem to care that much. That was always my takeaway. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I think, you know, maybe it's because not every school requires supplements. So the students are like, oh, you know, everybody requires my personal statement. So clearly that's the most important part of it, right? Um, I love, you know, the University of Chicago's and, and Wake Forest of the world that really spend time on what their supplemental questions are and change them every year. And it says a lot about the school and, frankly, a lot about how important those questions are to those schools. Um, and so, you know, again, it's just it's an opportunity for these students, and they need to treat it just as importantly or, you know, as, as equally as important as, as that main essay that's writing. Yeah, agreed. I know that. I, I don't know if you get this question a lot, but I do, too, and I'll have families say, I, well, I, I've heard that, and, and if anyone who's listened to this podcast at all knows that the phrase I've heard that makes me, drives me up a wall because it generally is followed by something that is not true. Um, exactly. And, and so they'll say, I've heard that you need to tailor. Every application needs to be specific to that school. So how am I going to, you know, I need to do five different or however many schools they're applying to, 12 different versions of my main essay. And for me, the main essay is your opportunity to share something important about yourself. That is not something typically you're going to tailor to each school because you're not really writing about the school. You're writing about yourself. Um, But the supplemental essays are where the schools give you the opportunity to help you make the connection between yourself and the schools. And so I think bottom line here is that they are equally important, right? So your main essay is still very important, but if the school requires supplements, you need to give them the same love and attention that you are giving that main essay. 100% agree. And the only thing I would add to that, as much as you say, you know, you hate to hear, I've heard that, dot, dot, dot. Um, I also hate to hear, well, what do they want to hear from me for this? What should I tell them? Yes. Right? And so don't craft Mm -hmm. it for the school. You tell them what you want them to know in that main essay. In the supplement is where you're, you're, a little bit more telling them what they want to hear because you're answering a specific question for them. That's exactly right. And even yeah. in that case, you're, you're, you're answering a specific question that they've asked, but you still need to be true to who you are and be authentic. And you are exactly right. What, the, the base of that question of, you know, well, I've heard that you need to tailor your, your application is really how do we tell each college exactly what they want to hear? And there you're going wrong right from the get-go. So, very good Agreed. point. All right. The second myth that we wanted to talk about, and I think it's particularly important given all the news that's been flying around, um, for those, if you haven't heard by now, you're living under a rock because we're taping this on April 16th. It's going to air on April 23rd. And yesterday on April 15th, 15th, the college board announced that they were canceling the June SAT and they are adding a September testing date and essentially going to, they're shooting to make it possible for students to take the test every single month starting in August until the end of the calendar year next year. And if they can't do that, they're preparing an online version of the test. All of this would make you think or lend credence to, I think, this idea that test scores can make or break an application. Uh, And I think that takes on extra meaning right now when so many students are unable to test. So what's your take on that, Miss? Um, There's a before the pandemic answer and the during the pandemic answer almost. Um, I mean, bottom line, I don't think it it can ever make or break an application. Um, right. The, you know, it, 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 the schools that they're, they give holistic approaches to their, their review process, they're taking everything into account. And that is to a school. There is not one school that will look at test scores only. Um, that being said, 
I think this next year and maybe beyond that will be really interesting and really telling in terms of what, what schools do. If they're adopting a test optional policy for the ne- I've heard from the next year, I've heard a couple doing it for the next two or three years, depending on the school. If they were a test heavy or a test aware school prior to now and they're going test optional next year, <clears throat> that might change their, their viewpoint going forward. Um, there was a, a funny, I was on a different um, webinar recently where someone said, you know, test optional does not mean transcript optional, right? So yes, for right. Schools, schools that will go test optional just because they were seeing averages of 1,500 and above does not mean that now that they are going test optional for the year that these are fine on your transcript. You never would have had that 1,500, but, you know, so now, now that school is more accessible. It's just changing the playing field. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see if the tests can be done between August and December at, in mm-hmm. a center or what those online opportunities will look like. All the schools that have come out and said they're going test optional, I don't think that's going to change, even if there are tests between August and December that students can do online or do in a center. It's still in order to keep a fair playing ground, they need to stay, you know, test optional and be flexible and nimble with this process. I think it's going to just put more weight on everything else in the application for those schools that did put a lot of weight towards that test score before now. Yeah, and it is, it's notable to me that the schools that are... Well, so far, there have been a lot of schools that have come out and said they're going to be optional, and I totally agree with you that they're not going to go back on that just because suddenly the college board is trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat and introduce some brand new online test that, you know, uh, there's so many questions about how will they do that, how will they possibly proctor that in a safe way, how will they prevent the cheating that they already suffer from um, from happening, but in an exponential way. Um, so all of those are big question marks. I think it's, it's notable that both Yale and Penn have come out with policies where they are saying, we're going to make the subject test totally optional, but we are still requiring the ACT or the SAT. And quite frankly, it's a bit of a bad look for them. Um, and I wonder if they will hold to that and... Um, or if they will, as this goes forward and it becomes clear, if it does, that the testing isn't going to happen in, eight, in August, in September, in October, and decide, well, I guess, you know what, we're going to be optional as well. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I just think that uh, more than ever this year, it couldn't be more true that test scores are not going to make or break you um, to that point. But I'd be curious, what do you, you know, what do you, I don't know if you've been having any conversations as you, your senior class kind of wraps up theirs, their, um, their decisions, but about next year and policies, but do you think something, I mean, do you agree that you think maybe they may be looking at those policies more times and, and making a different decision, or you think they're going to hold to it if they possibly can? In terms of the schools that have not gone test optional for next year? Yeah, yeah, in terms of them, of those schools particularly. Yeah, I, they're going to have to. They might be holding out for a little while, but right now they think they've, they've acquiesced by foregoing the subject test, right? So they think they've right. given some room. Um, you know, if you think about the subject test, they need to be done at the end of this school year. So it's kind of a no-brainer that they can't be done. They're not going to go back and take a U.S. history subject test in August um, you right. know, when they've been out of school for a couple months. So that makes sense. These schools are going to have to come back and be flexible with their testing down the line because it's, it's not equitable. So many students, are if the test is online, aren't going to be able to do it. And, you know, in order to be these welcoming open places for every student, um, yep. I, I really think they're going to come back. I think they're just holding out as long as they can and, um, you know, maybe doing things in stages. And it is, 
early, right? It's still the middle of April, but I right. do think they will come out and say that, and I think they're just taking their time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think, I mean, hey, they could surprise us, and I think that the College Board and the ACT are, are fighting for kind of their lives here on this a little bit, because for sure. if it turns out that, right, if it turns out that they do admissions this year and it all goes okay and they don't have test scores, then a lot of people might realize, right, these are not as important as we keep thinking or wanting them to be. Um, and they are not in the mood to have colleges find that out. So they're going right. to do what they can. What will be interesting is if the colleges themselves kind of hang on to that, some of the colleges out there. Lee, yeah, thank exactly. you so much for joining today. I really appreciate oh, um, you being here and taking some time. It was my pleasure. So much fun. I'd love to do it again, and good luck during this um, crazy and trying time, and stay healthy and well. Yes, yeah, same to you. All right, don't go away. We're going to be evaluating or talking about how you can evaluate the financial fitness of the colleges that you are considering in uh, just a minute when we return. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am excited to talk to you all about ROTC. We've done a couple of segments in the past about ROTC, and if you're interested in those, you can go to our blog, blog.getintocollege.com, and search for ROTC, and you will find um, links to the podcast segments we have done about this in the past. But today, I'm super excited because Rob Kirkland, who is a former lieutenant colonel and wrote the book literally on the ROTC scholarship called The Insider's Guide to the Army ROTC Scholarship for High School Students and Their Parents. I mean, you can buy this on Amazon. Rob is here today to talk to us about um, getting in, basically, how to think about this if this is on your mind. So why don't we start, Rob? Welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, great, Beth. Uh, great. I'm doing fine. Wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I wanted to start with a really basic question, and that is, what is the Army ROTC scholarship or really any of the ROTC scholarships? Well, it's uh, money that the uh, military provides to college students in order to help them uh, get through college uh, in order to uh, obtain a bachelor degree uh, uh, to uh, commission as a officer in the uh, armed forces. So it's a way 
uh, to help uh, uh, officer candidates uh, pay for college. Got it. And that is, couldn't when we made this plan, we literally, you and I talked, I think, last fall, and we decided to have you come on today because the timing seemed good in terms of thinking about these scholarships now. Now the timing seems absolutely perfect because, quite honestly, I, a lot of people are thinking right now about, wow, I, we thought we had co- college covered. We thought we were going to be able to pay for it, no problem, and now we might need more money than we originally thought. So the timing here is perfect. Why don't we start with um, who is eligible? There are some minimum requirements for ROTC scholarships, and I would love to get your um, thoughts on what are those, or if you could share those with our listeners. Right. And uh, what I'll be talking about here is uh, uh, the Army uh, scholarship. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, for, most of the serv- for most of the services, it's the same. So you've, you've got to be a U.S. citizen. You have to be at least 17 years of age within the first semester of the year that you enter college. Uh, you have to be a high school graduate. Uh, and importantly, you must have four years of academic standing, so you can't have a lot of college credit. You've got to have four years remaining of uh, college uh, in order to be able to get the four-year scholarship. Uh, you have to have a minimum a GPA for Army ROTC. It's uh, 2.5 GPA, and for Air Force and Navy, I believe it's 3.0. You have to have a minimum SAT or ACT uh, score. It's 1,000 for the Army. I believe it's 1,240 for the Air Force and Navy. Uh, and you can't have any moral uh, obligation or personal conviction that will prevent you from, uh, you know, from joining the military. Uh, or, and then uh, you have to satisfactorily uh, explain any arrest or uh, civil conviction record. Got it. And, and just to go back, because I, I think that's really important information about not accumulating too many credits, Do would AP credits be considered as part of that, or, or, or that's no problem? It's just that you can't have gone and done, say, dual enrollment and have your associates and apply for ROTC. Yeah, the latter is, is important because the AP, you wouldn't have gotten college credit until you get to the college or university. So it's right. uh, the person who did, you know, say, community college has uh, a bunch of uh, credits and, uh, and you know, say would not be an academic freshman, would be, say, considered an academic sophomore. So, you know, if they're applying, obviously, for a four-year scholarship, they wouldn't have the academic standing to, uh, you know, to, to be a freshman. So that's really the key is not to, not to have too many college credits. Got it. Okay. So we just talked about the minimum requirements. As with anything, there are minimums, and then there are the then there's the place where you actually become competitive. And my sense is that these are fairly sought after, and you can't just do the minimum. Um, so who would actually be competitive typically? What's the typical profile of a competitive applicant for ROTC? Yeah, usually you're you're in the mid twelve hundreds, uh, and then past thirteen hundred for the uh, SAT, and then of course the equivalent uh, for the uh, ACT. Uh, three five GPA. Now, note almost all the uh, ROTCs uh, uh, consider unweighted GPA, not weighted GPA. So that would be like say around a three five weighted GPA. The the other things that are important for ROTC are a uh, uh, athletics, you know, having, say, a varsity letter or multiple varsity letters, and then having leadership uh, 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 abilities uh, that are demonstrated through, you know, say, your school, church, uh, outside organizations that shows that you're, uh, that you're a leader and that you can, uh, you, can uh, uh, you know, successfully organize other people to get tasks done. Mm-hmm. Which so we call makes it an, sense, our, right? We call because it an Army ROTC. What we call an Army ROTC is, yeah, we, you know, we have acronyms in the military and the Army. It's called SAL, Scholar Athlete Leader. Got it. Yeah, I mean, you want people who can lead others. That's the basic premise of being an officer in the military, right? So how do you determine if you have that ability for something like this? Well, you look for examples of how a student has already showcased that. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. So for those who are listening and thinking, this is something that I'm, is very appealing to me um, and something that I 
want to try for and I'd like to be as competitive as I can. When should students start thinking about um, getting started in the process of this? Yeah, the, uh, the, the Navy uh, scholarship has already opened up uh, in April, and the uh, Army and Air Force scholarships open up in June. But uh, I usually don't recommend people get going on these scholarships until school's out, uh, which would be like, say, in the June time frame. So over the summer, they should be filling out their application, uh, you know, constructing the essays, of, you know, taking the physical fitness test and all the other things that are required. And then in the step, usually in the August, September timeframe, when, when uh, uh, people get back to school would be when you would do the final uh, phase of the uh, preparation, which would, or the, the application, which would be the interview. The interview is normally conducted at a ROTC uh, unit. And then once you're completed with that interview in the August or September timeframe, then you can start being you can start being considered by the board, by the ROTC boards, and they usually meet in October, starting in October, on a rolling basis through March of the, their senior year. And so, if you don't get selected on an early board in say October, you, your application gets rolled over to the next board, which usually hap- usually is every couple of months. So you want to try to have uh, uh, the ability to be able to compete on as many boards as possible. So ideally, again, you know, the scholarship opens up in June, complete the application over the summer, do the interview in August or early September, compete on the boards, and then hopefully you'll get a uh, decision uh, for a scholarship uh, sometime between October and March of your uh, senior year. And are the scholarship tied to a specific school, or is that in, only in some cases? So do you get the scholarship, and then you could take it wherever you get in that? Obviously, hopefully, you're not applying to any colleges that don't offer ROTC, because then that would be pointless. But how does that piece work? Yeah, the the Army ties it to a college or university. The Air Force mm-hmm. uh, just provides you a scholarship, and then you find a college or university. The Navy is the same as the Air Force. So it really depends on the service. Now, the Army scholarship, even if they give you a scholarship to one college or university, you can ask for your scholarship to be transferred to another college or university. And Army ROTC works to try to uh, make that happen for you uh, because, you know, you just don't know sometimes if you're going to get into a college or university. You right. may get a scholarship before you are uh, given, uh, before you are given admission. So in those cases, certainly, or, or, you know, if a candidate changes their mind, the Army ROTC understands that. They'll try to uh, change and change your school and, uh, you know, transfer your scholarship. Got it. That's really interesting, though. So, and they're very helpful to understand, and, and I think, as with many things in college admissions, the, the more you are on track and to finish these pieces you know, in in an earlier fashion. Waiting until the very end is never a good idea for a variety of reasons, but I did want to highlight your point about being on as many boards as possible, and that's going to increase your chances. Let's talk a little bit about um, some pieces of this that are likely to be impacted by COVID-19. So many juniors, sophomores, freshmen, um, who are home from school right now, they may be doing online school. There are a number of school systems that have said, we're just going to do pass-fail grades for this particular quarter or term or semester, whatever it is. How do you know yet at this point how ROTC is going to deal with students who have this big chunk that is kind of not unaccounted for because you'll see if they passed or they failed, but they're not going to actually have a grade for that time. Right. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, grade uh, for the GPA is going to make, uh, is, is really going to be too much of a, of a factor here. I think that, you know, ROTC will certainly weigh, will take a look at transcript. Uh, we'll look at the, um, you know, the GPAs. Uh, we'll, we'll take that into account. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, I think the bigger issue, I think that, you know, I'm certainly sure that all colleges and universities are grappling with is the SAT or ACT. And, mm-hmm. you know, for 
you know, for uh, all of the ROTCs, the SAT ACT is a big part of the overall point total and consideration for this for the yeah. scholarship. And so, if that's eliminated, uh, then what that means is, is that is other factors are going to be weighed in even more, such as the interview, the GPA, uh, the uh, uh, you know your activities. Uh, you know, so uh, that is a big wild card here. And then the Navy came out with their application in April and still requires it. But my guess is, is that all the services are really looking at this right now and determining what they're going to do. And, and my guess would be is that uh, it's going to be optional uh, and that mm-hmm. uh, there's that that means, uh, you know, obviously the emphasis is going to be on, on other areas uh, for this scholarship rather than the uh, standardized test. Yeah, it's a great point, and I, I certainly hope that they do ultimately make that choice to go optional because even though, and in the first segment I was talking about this, the College Board has announced they added a, a sitting of the test in September and making it possible for there to be a test date every month from August through December, but there's absolutely no guarantee that those test dates are going to happen, and if you are not able to take it in August or not in September and the first round of boards is in October, you know, there's just almost, it's, it's impossible or very difficult, not impossible, to imagine how that would work um, if they don't go optional. I wanted to touch on, you mentioned the idea that, um, well, that other pieces would become more important, which I completely agree with. We see that in college admissions. When you eliminate one piece, everything else becomes more important. Any tips or advice on the interview piece, since that is the kind of biggest unknown for families listening? Yeah, wow. That's, um, that is, I mean, I think the interview is going to be so important. It's so important now, but I think it's even going to be even more important on this this year. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I just had a pod, I have a, a ROTC scholarship podcast and my first podcast was uh, tips on the interview. So the uh, viewers might want to listen to that podcast that I did with um, a friend of mine who, um, you know, kind of uh, where we talk about that. But I would say, you know, the, the three or four bullets I would say about the interview would be, you know, first is practice. Practice with, with uh, your parents and practice with uh, somebody who has knowledge of the military. So, you know, the, this kind of like mock interviewing, I think, is very important, anticipating the type of questions that they would ask, which would, you know, be simple, you know, softball questions like, you know, why do you want to be an Army ROTC or why do you want to be an Air Force officer? Uh, questions mm-hmm. like that. So practice those things. Uh, I would say also is, you know, do you know they should do their research uh, on the services because, uh, you know, I've done hundreds of these interviews when I was at Claremont McKenna and, and University of Southern California, and I can't tell you how many times I had students come in uh, who had no idea about what the service did or anything about, uh, you know, anything about the Army or the Air Force or whatever service they were looking at. So you need, so they need to look at and make sure they, they do their research, and there's lots of things on the Internet uh, they can do. So uh, I would say those are the two biggies. I would say is mock interviewing, making making sure you have somebody qualified who's you know practicing with you, and then doing your research about ROTC and the services themselves. Got it, Rob. That was super helpful, and and I appreciate it. Um, appreciate your time here. I would encourage listeners who want to know more to pick up your book, which I believe you can purchase on Amazon. The Insider's Guide to the Army ROTC Scholarship for High School Students and Their Parents. Again, it's by Robert Kirkland. And you just mentioned that you have a podcast. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, it's called uh, ROTC Scholarships. So just uh, it's, I've got two up right now. One's, one's on the fitness and one's on, uh, one's on the interview. So those are two of the big uh, areas that uh, ROTC is going to look at. So, so it's, it's very informative, and you know, I highly encourage uh, candidates to check it out. All right, that sounds great. Robert, thank you so much for being here today. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are offering some thoughts about how you can evaluate the financial fitness of the colleges that you are considering. So don't go away. (music) 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa. Hey Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We uh, are talking today about... How you can evaluate financial fitness of the colleges you are looking at. And joining me is Sabrina Mansfield. She is the co-founder of Edmit. And if you haven't checked out Edmit, I would encourage you to do that. It's edmit.me. Um, and you can find it online. And they have some really great information about um, how to think about college as an investment because that's what it is. So, um, Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, You've been on before, and we have talked about a variety of things related to this college investment that you're making, and I think today is probably one of the most important conversations that we've had because um, the financial health and fitness of the college that you choose is so important. Um, And I guess my first question for you is, what was the state of college financial health before coronavirus? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, this has been on our radar, at least for a while, and uh, for experts in higher education kind of looking at the state of the field. Um, there have been a lot of challenges for universities and colleges in recent years due to changing demographics, um, just changing changes in the way that people want to receive education, um, changes in public funding for institutions. Um, So even before the coronavirus, there were many colleges that were struggling financially um, and had questions about the long-term viability of what they were doing. And as you can expect, coronavirus has intensified a lot of the challenges and also introduced some new ones. So um, almost every institution, no matter how rich, I would say every institution, no matter how how rich is, is looking at their finances now um, to understand what, what impact this is going to have. Right, right. And you guys have, have been lobbying now for a bit around more transparency when it comes to colleges and their financial health um, and feeling like it's really important for people to understand that. And just before we get a little further in this, I would love to hear your thoughts about why you think it's so important. It's such an important component. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is something that a lot of families don't think about um, because, you know, we think of colleges and universities as these long-standing institutions in society. Um, Most of them are nonprofits, uh, and, you know, we know they, a lot of them have endowments and 
they just seem very stable. But the reality is that um, many of them don't have that stability. And the reason it's important is that you're not just signing up for the next four years with this college. What you're actually investing in is a degree that you'll have that will hopefully accrue value over time, right? And part of what the value of that degree is, is um, the education that you receive, obviously, and um, because the fact that you finished it, but also the brand of the school, the alumni network, and resources that are available to you after you graduate um, are, are important and are an important part of what value you get from it. And so the extent that this is a lifelong, um, a lifelong benefit that you're accruing, you know, if the college is at, at risk of not being around in 10 years, uh, you know, that benefit could be less to you. And obviously right. the worst case scenario is that you start at one college and then that college is forced to close its doors. Um, you know, a lot of students find themselves then having to transfer to a college that is less convenient, less of a good fit. Um, they might take longer to graduate because their credits don't move over. And so there's there's a lot of disruption that can come, you know, in that worst case scenario. But even, even in the case that um, there's kind of shaky financial footing ahead, that can have negative impacts on, on the kind of ROI of your investment. Right, exactly. And so... With that in mind and understanding what you said earlier, which is that already there was some questions about financial health for some colleges, how does coronavirus now affect colleges? Um, and, you know, what issues do you see increasing as a result of coronavirus? Yeah. So I, I mentioned that, you know, demographic trends are one of the big things colleges are, are looking at. And that, that basically means that there are fewer and fewer people going to college, particularly in some regions. And many colleges rely on tuition revenue, right, to fund their operations. And so colleges that do have that reliance um, are, you know, need to be concerned about drops in enrollment. And so a lot of families that are considering taking um, a gap year or changing and going to, you know, their local state school or a community college, if their finances have changed or they're concerned about being able to afford the four-year college, um, you know, all those shifts that make people more conservative uh, and force them to not go to college uh, will impact um, the financial situation of, of a college or university. Um, there's other things such as the fact that if campuses don't open, colleges won't be charging room and board, which can be a significant portion of their revenue. Um, online instruction uh, typically costs similar to what tuition in person does, but a lot of families might have questions about that and be less willing to pay for it. And mm -hmm. then there's a lot of uh, shifts in um other revenue like endowment returns are way down, uh, things like events and sports are being canceled. And, and so a lot of the uh, kind of mainstays of a college's budget are in question. And, and that's, that's a big concern for a lot of them. Right. I mean, one big thing we're seeing is all the summer programs that these colleges have on their campuses yeah. and is a revenue generator for them. Um, which is why we don't always advise that summer programs are the absolute best thing to do because that's really what they are. And those are, in best case scenario, going online and for many schools just outright canceled. So that's one other thing right. um, that is impacting them. Right. So we've shared why this is all super important and we've kind of raised the alarm about what the potential fallout is from coronavirus. So as families are thinking about either making a final choice right now for seniors um, versus those who are just starting to explore colleges. How do you do your research when it comes to this? Because, of course, mm -hmm. the colleges aren't necessarily saying, hey, and here, take a look at our financials, and so we can prove to you that we are doing really well. They don't necessarily make that easy to find. Right. Right. And actually, this has been a big series of controversies over the years as different groups, including the government, have tried to make this information more available. Um, colleges you know, don't want it to be because, uh, you know, it's, you know, they don't want families to make their decision based on these factors, but there are some softer uh, ways you can investigate and then some good sources that I would recommend. So I think first, you do need to take stock of how was the college doing before coronavirus, if you can. 
Um, and to, mm-hmm. to understand that, you can look at enrollment trends, like can you see whether the college has been growing or shrinking in recent years? Um, have they been doing a lot of scholarshiping? Like do they give uh, big scholarships to a lot of students, meaning that their tuition revenue has been decreasing? Um, do you know anything about the campus or initiatives that they're that they're undertaking? Does it look does it seem like budgets have been tight in recent years or are they investing in areas that are important? Um, and also think about their their resources as a whole. Do they have a big endowment? Is the public does the public institution is the state that they're in um, supportive of the of the of the state system and um, investing more in it? And so you know, and also just doing kind of a news outlet search, like look for local news articles about what the college is doing. Um, and then there's there's some other uh, information sources that you can look at that um, we can point to. Um, maybe we can give a link after the segment um, to to a sure. more thorough list. But that's the first step is to kind of get a sense for how the college was doing before. And then now and today, there's news coming out all the time about um, you know refunds to room and board, tuition uh, freezes or salary cuts. Um, I think it's important to look at whether the college relies on international students and that, and because if they do, that's a source of revenue that will likely be way down next year. And then I think more optimistically, you know, think about how innovative or um, kind of resilient the college is. Like, have they invested in online education? Are they doing innovative programs? Um, are they are they a college that's going to be able to kind of shift with the changing times and adapt in a way that makes them more relevant than ever? Because education is not less important. If anything, it's more important now. Um, and so I, I believe colleges and universities, there are many colleges and universities that will be able to embrace that and thrive. Um, but, you know, they have to have that culture and that um, momentum internally to do that. So those are some of the things that... Um, I think you should look for, and I'd also encourage families to have an open conversation with the colleges, you know, ask the question because you are the customer and see what information they give you and see whether um, their answer is satisfying and convincing. Um, A lot of colleges are starting to be more open about this topic, and I think that's always a good sign. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things that you mentioned that I'd like to go back and and focus on a little bit was. I think all really good things to pay attention to. You specifically mentioned schools giving out big scholarships. So are you referring to, you know, scholarships they've had forever or you're seeing them do a lot of more discounting? And how do you, how do you look at that more closely? Yeah, so this is one where um, I think a lot of families don't necessarily realize that scholarships are like discounts, particularly merit scholarships. Uh, you know, and the a lot of colleges are using them to entice students to come, right? Um, and mm-hmm. when a college is is doing a lot of very aggressive discounting, like giving scholarships to every student, or um, you know, almost no one pays full price, or everyone pays you know a lot less than full price, and that that has two meanings, right? It could it it first means that the college is getting much less revenue than they might have in recent years. Um, and the second is that it, it might signal that they're having trouble attracting a, a good number of students and that they're basically kind of happy to get whoever they can um, by using <laughs> this lever that they have. And so well, that's always a signal that they might have some enrollment challenges, and, and that's obviously a big part of your financial health as a university or college. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's very analogous to what we see on retail these days. And I have stores that send me information and places where I like to shop, and yet I'm not willing to pay full price at those places because they're always running some kind of a discount or a sale. And mm-hmm. so right. I might love something, but I'm going to hold out until they discount it because I know they're going to discount it. And it feels to me like retailers have gotten themselves into in trouble doing that, and it feels similarly like colleges, many of them may be similarly getting themselves into trouble doing doing that. Um, and right. it, it can be beneficial, but not if they've done it to the point where you're enrolled or right after you graduate, they are you know, no longer in business because of it. Um, yeah. Right. So that is, 
Yeah, right. From their, so from their perspective, some revenue is better than zero. So if they can get a student into the class, that's great. But then in the long term, that's much less income that they have to fund their operations. And, and often that might be at a loss to them, which is, which is not good over time. Right, exactly. They are, they are putting heads in beds, but at what long-term cost to the schools themselves? Yes. Yep. Okay. Anything else that you would add about this for families who are um, out there going through this process right now? Well, I think um, I, I would encourage families to do that research, and I know College Coach published a blog post um, of ours that had some lists of good sources. EDMIT's also going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks with a, a financial health rating that will be available to, to families. So if you're interested in following up on this topic, you can come to our site and, and sign up or subscribe to our newsletter um, so that you'll, you'll get an alert about when that's available. That's going to be a really valuable tool. I'm sure that we will we'll do our best to link to it on our um, in the blog or more as well. So, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, and best of luck. Stay, stay healthy. Yeah, same to you. Stay safe and healthy seems to be two important uh, points that everyone is making today. Um, so... Uh, I want to thank Sabrina and all of my guests today. Next week, Sally is hosting the show. And one of the big things that is additional, right now it's a little bit of a rumor, but I don't think it's a rumor to share that there are colleges out there having conversations about what COVID-19 means for them over the next 6 to 12 months. And one of the things that might be impacted is uh, going um, online for the fall. And so um, some families aren't going to necessarily be interested in that, and maybe they are going to be looking at asking for a deferral. So we're going to be talking about making those requests. We're also going to be doing another two in our series on the top five, and in this case, it's going to be top five things to keep in mind when creating a college list and top five things to think about in terms of cost, college cost-saving strategies. If you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. We do our best to answer these on uh, regular intervals. And you can also follow us on Instagram at collegecoachbh and at elizabethheaton92. Um, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.